0: So just a, a short while ago, I was um, informed about the root of the word creativity. And uh, it's very interesting, it comes from the Latin and the, the root word means to bring into form from nothingness. Beautiful, huh? bring into form from nothingness. So we, we have the idea, I think a lot of us may have the idea that um, creativity is relates to certain fields like the arts, for example. Um, and that's how it's often commonly used. But I'd like to explore a much broader interpretation of that that um, actually applies to all of us. Hopefully we will um, be able to, Uh, look at that and how that um, may be seen in a much broader sense. So um, let's just take a a common example. Let's say uh, we think about someone that was an artist, let's say a painter. And um, certainly, you know, to have some degree of uh, talent in presenting something uh, in the uh, the art world as a painter. Um, there's some, you know, training requires some technical skill, all the inspiration in the world um, you know, without any training um, you know, it doesn't need lead to um, uh, results that are we would call inspired results. They may be wild and crazy but they're not, it, it also requires us to Um, engaged in, you know, doing our part to uh, train the body, train the vision, train the um, hands to be able to um, paint and uh, produce something that's reflective of, uh, let's say, a deeper inspiration. But at the same time, we can have all the talent in the world, but if there's no access to a a deeper source of um, inspiration, then the result um, won't be inspired. (laughs) So, but if if those two come together, the the skill, the training, that's our part, and then the inspiration, which um, um, I'll suggest comes from someplace beyond ourselves, um, as the definition suggests coming from nothingness into form, so our job is um, a midwife to bring it into form. But if, if those two come together where you know, we've put in the, the time and the effort to become uh, skilled in our um, artistic endeavor and open to that inspiration, then, then magic can happen. Okay, let's uh, let's take another example that's um, sort of out of the field of arts altogether. Let, let's take a um, an adult uh, taking care of a young child, let's say a, about a four-year-old, and um, you know if the the adult is uh, is limiting their interaction to you know just keeping the child safe away from danger and making sure that they're adequately fed, um, that's good, but it's not really an enriching creative experience for the child. Um, But if if the adult is really willing to engage with the child um, in a um, creative way, children, you know, especially of a young age like that, are incredibly creative. I mean, they'll um, create stories out of out of nothing, right? <laughs> and if the adult, you know, tries to maintain their adult role and be the adult in the room and the one that knows answers to things and, um, you know, has an agenda to try to advance the child educationally, there might be a time and a place for that. But um, to really encourage and participate in that creative flow, um, the adult really needs to drop uh, a lot of what they think they may think they know and just engage with a child in that creative flow, almost like um, they do on uh, improv comedy, where no matter what one person says, um, the, the, the other person can't refute that. It, the, it, it just goes with it, whatever, wherever that story is going. So the second person, Sort of is obligated to respond yes, and and then add to the storyline, and in that way, then the, the creativity process can flow. But to do that, the the adult um, has to give up what they think they know or what they think they're um, they're obligated to try to instruct the child at every moment to try to nudge them forward into adulthood as fast as possible. Um, all right let's take one more example uh uh, scientists um there are you know many stories in science where someone has you know struggled um for a long time trying to understand a, a particular problem they've had all the scientific training uh they've puzzled over the issue and um and then for whatever reason, you know, they're, they're daydreaming about something else. They, they've forgotten about trying to solve this problem. And uh, somehow out of that openness, <laughs> um, a solution that they would have never worked out from their own training, their own conceptual beliefs, they couldn't get there that way, but somehow from this just this openness, this daydreaming, suddenly something um, arises that's totally unexpected, uh, takes them in a, uh, a direction they could have never imagined. So um, there's a there's a pretty interesting example. There's a um, Swiss uh, biologist. Uh, his name is uh, Louis Agassi, He lived in the 1800s. He's not around anymore, but um he was his expertise was in uh, fish, uh both fish that are currently alive and also fish that had um, gone extinct some you know millennia prior and uh he had this one um problem where he had the image of a fish uh imprinted in a rock, and um he he just couldn't figure out. What, what it was. I mean, he had never seen anything like it. He couldn't even figure out what it was related to. And this, this was uh, a man at the top of his game, right? And um, on, at this place where he was completely baffled by this, this fish, this image in this rock, um, on three successive nights, he had dreams about the fish um, uh, fully represented, like in as in real life, <laughs> and so he could see what it actually was. The first two nights, he he had a vivid dream, but he couldn't recollect it in the morning, and he thought he maybe he could if he just went into, you know, his lab and looked at it again, and and it would come back to him. But it it still wasn't accessible, and like many stories of things, on the third third night, he had another dream that was so vivid Um, and he that night he had kept a a notebook and a pencil next to his bed and um, uh, in the middle of the night you know barely waking up he allowed his you know hand to sort of sketch out what he was seeing in the dream and um, the next morning he brought the drawing into the the lab and what it showed was the uh, full image of the fish um, that he uh, that allowed him to sort of dig further into the rock than what it was, um, what it was showing, and it, uh, he was able to see that in the rock where he couldn't see was the image of the fish that was presented to him in the dream. So this, um, so uh, the way I understand that is that um, you know in daylight and waking hours, uh, you know, he was approaching things from his thinking mind, trying to figure this out. He he worked with fish a a lot before. And so he was approaching things from conceptual thought. Whereas at night when that conceptual layer is um, largely eliminated, uh, there was an openness, a receptivity uh, to see something that was totally unexpected. And what he what he found was uh, completely surprising. It was something that he had never seen before. It wasn't, um, for that reason, it wasn't out of his subconscious because it wasn't um, you know, a prior memory that he had forgotten about. It was, it was this was a fish that had never been discovered before and was uh, revealed to him in um, out of nothingness, right? Comes to him, um, so uh, in um, ancient uh, Greek, there was this concept of um, the Muses. These were um, goddesses of various art forms: uh, painting, music, uh, speech, writing, etc. And um, you know these. Um, people in those days sort of appeal to the muses to sort of inspire them t- in their efforts to um, paint and write and act, et cetera. Um, this where actually the word "music" comes from, uh, from the Greek word for muse. <laughs> and uh, so, this this concept, it, what we're talking about, is not a belief in. You know, Greek divinities. Um, But the idea that um, this movement, this creative movement, is not something within our um, personal willpower. It's not something that's being generated from, you know, by our own bootstraps. It's something that um, is available to us um, uh, if we're open, receptive. Um, but it's not something that we can demand. It's not something that we can reach out and grab and hold on to. It's something that we can invite and be open to. Um, It it, it strikes me the same way a flower um, attracts a honeybee. I mean, a flower doesn't go out and grab a honeybee as it flies by. um, It it, it, um, invites it with it fragrance. Right? So it's more, more that movement, the movement of making ourselves um, available for uh, to receive an inspiration from beyond what we typically take ourselves to be. And um, the, the movement of creativity is to bring that Inspiration into form in some way, however that looks. Um, uh, as another example, might be if, if we um, uh, fall down, scrape our knee, right? Knee's bleeding a bit. You know what we what's in our power to do is to clean the wound, put a bandage on it. Um, we don't have the power. You know, through sheer willpower, to to heal that—that's that's beyond our conscious control. We trust that it will happen, but um, we do what we can, and then and then let it happen, let it heal. <laughs> now, very similarly, if we if we plant a seed in the garden, you know, we can um, you know plant the seed in good soil. We can water it. We can plant it at the time of year where it can grow. Um, but the, the life energy to, for that seed to grow is again beyond our capacity. We do our part and then
1: allow life to do its part, that flow of that movement. So there's, um, for a long time,
0: uh, uh, growing up in, as a teenager and well into my twenties, um, I, I believed I had no creative abilities whatsoever. Um, you know, I avoided any, any class that had anything to do with creative writing, um, anything that had anything to do with speaking. <laughs> Well, I just felt like both of those things were totally beyond my capacity um, and i it was not until into my thirties I found myself uh, designing buildings, and what I realized is that i mean I knew something about how to build things carpentry et etc but in designing a new building um, you know, if I was trying to do it out of my knowledge, um, how things should be or how I thought they should be, uh, it, was, it was just an arduous affair. It wasn't, it wasn't fun and the results weren't <laughs> very satisfactory. Um, but I, I discovered that if I sort of relaxed about it and didn't um, didn't think too hard about it, and took my time and had a quiet place to do it, um there was there was a flow that happened that um, that I couldn't quite explain that uh, it seemed to have an energy behind it, and it was almost like I was somewhat you know like I was sitting in the back seat while this was happening and um you know clearly present for it um not forgetting what I knew, but that wasn't at the forefront. It was more like allowing um, that to unfold um, in a way that um, was enjoyable and and surprising. And it was the first time in my life that I recognized that, um, where creativity actually came from. (laughs) I, I was right as a teenager that me as a separate self, a personal separate being wasn't creative, never would be, right? But the the allowance of um, this, this sort of life, life energy of being available for it um, was actually what creativity was. So in that sense, I see us all having um, that potential to uh, tap into that source it can feel initially like it's something apart from us um in that sense the you know the idea of the muses on the mountaintop and somewhere in greece um you know as a metaphor made a certain amount of sense like it wasn't really ours to demand it was it was a request you know like um asking for asking for inspiration. Um, And then if there's some things that um, like dampen that, dampen that flow. Um, Like if if we believe that it's really our personal effort um, that's making it happen, um, then then it's, it's a, in a sense a limited reservoir you know maybe we'll have some success maybe there's um i don't know enough um experience or something that we'd like to express that may have some initial success um you know in expressing something of interest um but if we're doing it out of a sense of you know it's coming from me i've just got to dredge this up out of my own efforts. Um, I mean, that's where of writer's block comes from. That's where a, a sense of um, um, being, you know, uh, draining the well can uh, feel like. Um, there's a, an American writer that was, I'm not actually even sure if he's, he's still alive or not, but he was Somewhat popular back in the 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s, a um, name of Norman Mailer. And he, he had some initial success uh, with books. Um, and, um, but he made, I remember him making an announcement that he wanted to be the one to write the great American novel. And um, that sort of, arrogance (laughs) that sort of level of pride of um, ambition uh, goes against what we're talking about right because it it emphasizes this personal you know our personal role in this um, creativity process and
1: um, he never wrote the great american novel
0: (laughs) you know it was that that movement was um, a failure to see the source of true inspiration as a as a counterpoint, um, Michelangelo, who lived uh, to a pretty ripe age and was incredibly prolifically um, Creative throughout his entire life in many in many different fields, um, and his his dying words were,
1: "I could have done more."
0: Uh, this is someone that has, uh, I would say, an appropriate degree of modesty, Des, despite his enormous um, prodigious outpouring. Throughout his entire life he still he still had that modesty of um, recognizing that uh, he was he was a conduit for something larger than himself and as a conduit that that was limited more limited than the, the source of that creativity so if if we um, sort of try to grab grab this sense of um creativity and claim it for ourselves um that that chokes off um, that potential because it it places the emphasis on us as a separate individual uh, rather than giving credit uh, to the source right um so it's it's as if um Let's say we get uh we get a letter from our beloved right and the mailman delivers the letter to us you know we don't we don't kiss the mailman right i mean we might be grateful that they delivered the letter on time etc but we don't we don't kiss the mailman mistaking what is the source of delivery to the actual source in this case the beloved right beloved sends a letter the mailman delivers it we receive it we're grateful to the mailman but we we don't forget that the actual source is the beloved not the mailman okay there's a lot of spiritual teachers uh, spiritual seekers um, that have gotten um,
1: mistaken the mailman for the source uh, to their misfortune
0: so our our job in this um, in, in terms of welcoming um, inspiration, let's say from afar. It's not really afar, but let's just call it that for now. Um, our job is to do that with as little distortion as possible. So by distortion I just mean um, you know filtering it as little as possible you know through our prejudices and doubts and um, self, Aggrandizement and uh, those kind of things, you know, allowing it to flow as as cleanly as possible, um, with as little distortion as possible. In other words, just be- to become transparent to that movement, um, rather than you know trying to be heavy-handed with that with that kind of energy. Um, so it's really you know bringing something from the beyond, from the nothing from the formless into form. So that's, that's the movement. I once was, um, had the opportunity to talk to Shanti and, and for some reason, I don't know why uh, the subject even came up, but we were talking about creativity and he, he said that he didn't feel creative at all. And I, I thought, no, that's not true. I mean, because what what he does is, does exactly that. He brings the formless, the unspoken, the what can't be spoken about into form, into um, being able to evoke that um, recognition uh, in others and uh, to do that beautifully. So I, I see that as a tremendously creative process. Um, so I, I was just uh, amused by that, um, and other other um, teachers, Nisargadatta, Eckhart Tolle, um, have all talked about um, not n- knowing where the words come from. Um, you know, just to um, to be there when they're spoken, <laughs> they're p- passing through this body mind, obviously. Um, but recognizing that they're not the source of it. Um, Mr. Gadada had an interesting quote on that. He said, earlier earlier in life, I was so sure of many things. Now I am sure of nothing. I don't know is the only true statement that the mind can make. Um, He's clear about it. So, but there are, um, you know, we can't sort of reach out and and grab uh, this creative instinct, but there there are three things that we can actually do uh, to foster it. Um, One of the things is just to recognize that that source is um, beyond beyond what we normally take ourselves to be. You know, just the recognition, the sense of, um, you know, a reasonable amount of humbleness um, and recognition that um, our our task is to be open to that movement. Uh,
1: So if we're
0: open to that movement, then we're available uh, for just the the
1: subtle nudges it's,
0: you know it might not be as dramatic as a fully formed fish in a dream, but it m- might be just just a a curiosity or a willingness to take a step in a direction that um, that we may not know the outcome for the or. Um, the recognition of a sense of dissatisfaction with um, being limited to a certain belief about what we can and can't do and moving us past that into a willingness to step out of that. Just a a gentle nudge, almost like a fresh spring breeze. And when those movements come, they don't um, explain themselves. They don't say, well, if you go in this direction, this and this and this, it will happen. There's no guarantees. We don't, we don't even um, get an explanation of why it's a good idea. <laughs> There's no argument if we choose to do something else. You know, it's just a suggestion. We're free to ignore it and go our own way. But if we do learn to listen to it, over time, we begin to trust it more and more because we can see that um, when we do listen to that sort of gentle breeze, that nudge, that quiet voice, when we do listen to that, um, amazing things can happen. And things that we would have never guessed, never thought possible never thought that we could do. So the first thing is is just to acknowledge that possibility of being beyond our normal conceptual way of thinking about ourselves or how things work or what we're able to do or not do. The second thing that we can do is get quiet enough that we can actually listen. It's hard to listen when everything is really busy. So we can um, look at the operation of our mental activities. So by this, I don't mean trying to stop the mind from thinking, to get quiet in that way. Um, What will uh, settle the mind down is becoming... Uh, more and more familiar with how it works i don't I don't mean the content of everything, the psychological content that, that's more than more than a lifetime's worth of work, so that's not what I'm talking about, but I'm saying that the nature of thought itself, how thought arises um,
1: How it functions within the mind the nature of belief
0: that we can do, that we can look at closely. And that activity in the mind um, will remain highly activated, busy, noisy, um, if we're looking to it for answers.
1: Or if we continue to assign it
0: the role of um, manager and judge. Any of those things will keep it highly activated. When we can see that um, its capacity is to think conceptually, that's what it can do. It can think in, in words and concepts. <clears throat> and words and concepts are never ultimately true. Even the really good ones are not ultimately true. So if we keep evaluating every thought that passes through our head, whether it's it's uh, good or bad or right or real or um, painful or, we'll be we'll be caught in that forever, um, and we won't resolve it by opposing it. And if we give the mind the job to be the judge of what's true and what's not true, it'll
1: stay in that role forever.
0: But what we can do is just watch the nature of mind itself rather than trying to make the mind stop because it's the nature of the mind to think. So we we need to let it do that, Um, but we can watch it. Carefully, that's what we can do. And watching it carefully um, allows us to see clearly how it operates. We we can't both look at it objectively and manipulate it at the same time. If we're manipulating it, we're not watching it. Watching it, we're not manipulating it, you know. So, the way to really see it clearly objectively is to let it do its thing and pay attention. You know, stay engaged. You know, we're not running away, we're not disengaging, we're allowing it to do its thing, but we're just watching it closely. Um, so, that's, that's what we can do to sort of settle the mind down enough that we can hear maybe not the spoken word, but we're sensitive enough. Um, alert enough to to know when a fresh, gentle breeze has entered the room. So we're not talking about somebody whispering or yelling in our ear, we're not talking, although it could happen, Um, you know, we're just talking about a, a movement, a gentle movement and becoming more and more in touch with that. And the third thing that we can do is act on those suggestions. You know, rather than blowing them off and saying, "Well, that doesn't make any sense," how, you know, where will that lead to? The answer is always, "Well, I don't know." There's the openness. There's the the not knowing. So those three things we can do. We can we can honor the source of inspiration. Um, We can take our practice seriously enough uh, to really closely examine what's happening in our head. And after a while, the mind does settle down. The third thing that we can do is to become available um, to these sort of gentle suggestions. Sometimes if we don't pay attention to the gentle suggestions... Um, you know, God is forced to yell. We don't, we don't want to push her in that position. You know. But that that movement, if we're receptive to it, um, at first it might seem surprising, like uh, like a one a one time event. You know, there was one movement that caused me to go in a different direction than I was headed. But if we um, become more sensitive to that and um, develop a a respect for that, a trust in that, um, then more and more uh, doesn't feel like just a one-off event. More and more, it's just how how life is moving. And it feels like, You know, our job is to
1: listen, listen and
0: take the suggestion, and it's really that coming more and more into alignment with life. Um, And the more we do, the more available it is, it's uh, sort of a feedback mechanism there. so if we look at this uh, creativity in a, let's say a broader sense, um, Meister Eckhart was a, a 14th century uh, German Catholic mystic who's high up in the church hierarchy, a bishop or something of that level. Um, but, uh, certainly certainly a mystic, and one one of the things that um, a beautiful um, saying that I love is um, God is always begetting the only begotten so we have this image by the only, the only begotten we're talking about the creation the the entirety of it right god is always begetting the only begotten you know in the, in the scientific western mind we have this idea that there was a big bang everything got put into motion and then it's been more or less hands off since then and things sort of evolved as they as they did but this this um Images is, is totally opposite to that. Always begetting the only begun. Always begetting this one creation. Right. Always renewing itself. Always coming into form. Always leaving form and renewing itself. Coming into form in another way. Moment to moment. It's not a one-time event. It's just this constant um, outpouring of... Um, creativity into form out of nothingness into form. Another way of looking at that is that um, the awareness that we essentially are is um, a witness present for um, that continuous outpouring of creation, witnessing it moment to moment, um, falling away in the next moment to be replaced by the next experience, the next adventure, the next idea, the next sensation, the next thought, constantly, always begetting the only begotten, So we have this idea that, um, as we've talked about it, you know, the muse sitting on the Greek mountaintop far away, other than us. But what we discover is that that, that source of creativity um, is other than what we thought we were as a separate individual person, but it's also not other than
1: us. Not imposed on us. We are fully a participant in that creative immense outpouring.
0: Right? And that that creativity, that process is what our life looks like. That is that is the movement. And the the more we allow that with more and more transparency by getting out of our own way, the more that that life energy can flow through us. Always, always begetting the only begotten. Just this movement, this vast um, coming into form. Always changing, always new, always fresh. Right, not coming out of the. Conceptual, not coming out of the past, um, you know, just this fresh outpouring of creativity. So what we discover, you know, as, as I've talked about it most of this evening, I've uh, talked about it as if it was other than us, And um, in the final analysis, we find out that it actually is our essential nature. Not this personal separate egoic self, not that, but it is our essential nature as the formlessness of awareness, bringing things into form.
1: Our life, the expression of our life coming into form.